This is Audio EXP for the 15th of August 2020, and the title of this episode is Outside RPGs. Do you think we are heading to a cyberpunk future? Mike Pondsmith, the designer of the original cyberpunk RPG, reminded us this year that his vision of the genre is a warning of what might happen if we don't improve. It's not an aspiration. In cyberpunk settings, We see corporations with more power than governments. We see inequality, and that leads to the integration of technology and the human body. At the end of 2019, Geek Native had a copy of Volume 1 of the Blade Runner 2019 comic series to give away. And if you're a regular, then you've already guessed where this is going. To enter the giveaway, all people had to do was say whether they consider themselves to be a geek or not, and whether they thought we'd see a cyberpunk future in 20 years' time. Now, I'll publish a breakdown of those answers later today. But what do you think? Will we see a cyberpunk future in 20 years? 104 people answered the competition question. 52 people thought that we would. 52 people thought that we would not. Yep, it's a 50-50 split. However, there is one wrinkle in the data which I find interesting. Geeks are much less likely to predict a cyberpunk future. Of the people who said they consider themselves to be a geek, only 43% of them thought we'd see a cyberpunk future in the next 20 years. Of the people who said they weren't a geek, and competitions like this attract people who just want to try and win stuff off the internet, 62% of them said that we would. Of course, the usual disclaimers apply. 104 people is not a vast number, and this was a competition, so I can't promise people put any thought into their answers. But I have seen surveys cited in TV ads with less robust data. Why do you think the geeks are less likely to predict the cyberpunk future? Are we more optimistic? Or do we feel technology isn't there yet? And perhaps geeks have a more demanding definition of cyberpunk, with a higher level of technology required. Now, the title of this episode is Outside RPGs, but I happen to have an RPG-related stat to bring in here. ICV2, a site for shop owners and bloggers like me, published their latest study of best-selling RPGs. Now, they get this data by talking to people who sell RPGs and asking them what's selling best. Make what you want of that approach, but it safely puts D&D in the first spot, followed by Pathfinder. For the first time ever, They've looked at third-party 5 ebooks, lumped them all together, and given that collective a listing. And that takes the third spot. Pazio has a second entry in fourth place with Starfinder, and then I was surprised to see Cyberpunk in the fifth position. I was surprised to see Cyberpunk there, because the new Cyberpunk Red isn't out yet. There is a box jumpstart, yes, but that came out last year. However, there are two factors at play here. Firstly, the box Jumpstart set is still available, and as interest in Cyberpunk arises, it continues to sell. Secondly, ICV2 doesn't say Cyberpunk Red, it just says Cyberpunk, and I'm told there's been a re-release of some classic Cyberpunk 2020 books. So, combined, we see Cyberpunk RPG material back in the bestsellers. And since we've snuck onto RPGs, Please let me keep going for a bit with some select headlines for you. Hasbro owns Dungeons & Dragons, and the toy company's rival, Mattel, 
is now getting into role-playing games. This week, Fandom Tabletop and Mattel announced Masters of the Universe Legends of Greyskull RPG. It'll use Cortex Prime as a system. That's the same decision that the Dragon Prince made. As I said with the Dragon Prince news, it's probably too early to call this a trend, but Cortex does have a history of lining up great franchises. The license has expired now, but Battlestar Galactica and Firefly both use Cortex. Fandom now find themselves running D&D Beyond from Hasbro and setting up Legends of Greyskull for Mattel. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast on Saturday the 15th when it comes out, then it's D&D Beyond's third birthday, and they have coupon codes to get discounts off D&D books and digital dice in their store. You'll find the link to the list in the show notes. Absolute Tabletop has a free-to-download setting that might tempt you. It's a 5e-powered sci-fi called Harbinger. Another free, but not 5e, setting that caught my eye is a game called The Wild Sea. There's a 50-plus page playtest available for this month that's free to download. The Wild Sea is set in a world which has been taken over by rapidly growing plants and trees. You are a wild sailor in the game a crew of a chainsaw-powered boat that sails through the upper branches of these trees. You can play as a human, or as a humanoid cactus. Pretty cool, huh? And you can also play as a fungal growth set out by the colony to explore. Or, if you can stomach it, you can play as a hive mind of small spiders, all living together in the remains of a suit of armour or eco-gear, which helps to give you a humanoid shape. It sounds wonderfully weird, I'd be up for that. A game that I keep on meaning to investigate is Robert J. Schwab's Shadow of the Demon Lord. I'm told it's tough and dark. This week, Robert announced a rebuild of it called Shadow of the Weird Wizard as a more family-friendly version. What caught my attention about the Weird Wizard is that it's set after the second Remembered Apocalypse. Also on the I Need to Check Out list is Table Plop. Had you heard of Tableplop? Strange name. It's a free virtual tabletop. It came on my radar this week after getting an upgrade, adding drag and drop trays to move tokens around more easily, and an improved fog of war system. You even get 100 megabytes of storage as part of the free tier, and you can pay to go higher, or you can support the project via Patreon if you want. And speaking of Patreon, there's a thank you coming for Geek Nata's patrons or anyone who becomes a patron before the end of the week. There's a PDF copy of the core adventure system rules and the superhero supplement. Geeknator's patron isn't spent on technology costs. I want it to help support the tabletop industry. In this case, I'm buying these PDFs at a discount, and with permission of the publisher, handing them on to people kind enough to support Geeknative. The grand plan, though, is to be able to commission articles and art. However... If you are tempted to earn some karma this week, then can I direct you to the bundle for Beirut at DriveThruRPG? There's been a bundle on itch.io already, but that's been and gone, raising nearly 8,000 for the Blasthorn City. Lastly, in the RPG section, I want to say it's been a fairly busy week or two with RPG reviews on the site. The most recent one was for a project called Eyes Unclouded, which is an anthology of 11 D&D adventures inspired by classic anime. I'm using Ghibli as a shorthand for classic anime. For legal reasons, of course, Eyes Unclouded cannot, 
So let me say it. If you fancy running a Ghibli-style D&D scenario or campaign, then you'll find Eyes Unclouded helpful. And it's with anime that I want to finally get to the outside RPG part of this podcast. Geek Native does not just write about RPGs or tabletop games. The site was created over a decade ago to try and lure people into the RPG hobby. And the technique was to show that gamers did more than just talk about that time they rolled a nat 20 with a 13th level cleric in a single boss fight. I wanted to connect other geeky interests with the hobby and therefore join the hobby with other geeky interests. Eyes Unclouded, which blends anime and D&D together, is an excellent example of why I thought this approach might work. And since I'm an anime fan, I write about anime too. I don't do it too often. There's a rule of thumb on the site. No more than one anime post per day. It's often the first post after the newsletter goes out too. And that's significant because the newsletter only shows the five most recent stories. That rule of thumb sits along with a similar one for Kickstarters. No more than one Kickstarter post per day. And that's often why there's a long list of Kickstarter projects in the routinely itemised RPG news summary post on Friday. It would be too time consuming and too spammy to write them all up. It's been a busy week of anime news though, and there are lots of great shows freshly out. If you haven't already found a regular reconnaissance, then that hopefully is worth keeping your eye on if you're an anime fan. Each article in that series looks at about five shows, often tracking the progress of the series over time. Netflix is streaming the latest season of The Seven Deadly Sins. Fans were worried about it for lots of reasons, including the censoring of blood. But as far as I can tell, it's been warmly received and I'm enjoying it. So if you are a fan, then give the latest season a chance. Crunchyroll, Netflix's rival in the anime space, has been working with a Korean company called Webtoon to make big webcomic successes and turn them into anime. We've already had a complete season of Tower of God, which was great. Now, the god of the high school is shaping up as strongly. On the surface, the god of high school is a mixed technique combat championship. Very quickly, though, we find out that there are supernatural powers in the world. We're only a few episodes in, and it's not a spoiler to say that the championship and those with supernatural powers are connected. I am going to surprise myself and mention Rent-A-Girlfriend, too. I think I was expecting a rom-com. I was also fully expecting to write it up as a show that I would be abandoning after watching the first three episodes. I'm sticking with it though. It's a surprisingly good commentary on the human condition, but we'll have to see how long the writers can stretch out the concept for. And back to the Webtoon partnerships, there's one that's just about to come out called Noblese. In Noblese, nobles are a different species to human and yet live among us. This Webtoon adaptation is about a noble waking up after an 800 year long sleep and waking up in modern day Asia quickly finding themselves at odds with a secret society. Now, because anime is booming and streaming platforms are booming, thanks in part to a lockdown, this means the corporate owners of Crunchyroll have a cunning plan. The ultimate owners of Crunchyroll are AT&T, who have a debt of $153.4 billion. While Crunchyroll sits in a group known as Automedia, its immediate parent is Warner Media. And there are multiple credible reports that Warner Media has Crunchyroll up for sale. The asking price is between 1 billion 
and $1.5 billion. That's a staggering amount of money for anything anime-related to be worth. But some basic math of multiplying the monthly subscription costs of Crunchyroll with the number of paying subscribers seems to justify those numbers. I don't think Netflix will be tempted. But there are people talking about the likes of Sony, who owned Funimation and Aniplex as a potential buyer. I'm happy to pay both Crunchyroll and Netflix fees. I binge-watched all of Season 2 of The Umbrella Academy and enjoyed it. I've also been lucky enough to playtest the Umbrella Academy card game, the same one that's currently rolling in money on Kickstarter. Now, I think there were some production problems with my prototype, but I'm putting those aside. I found the game really easy to learn and lots of fun. I've gone for the deluxe edition on the Kickstarter itself. Lastly, I want to call out uh, an exclusive that Geek Native managed to land, even if with just a glimpse of one. Static Press, who are part of Titan Comics, will release an English language version of a comic book series called Wikia. Wikia, originally in French, is a steampunk fairy tale, and the preview art you can see in the blog is incredible. Each panel is full of impressive detail, and it's strange how well the steampunk aesthetic works with butterfly wings. And on that note, let's call it a wrap. Keep safe, stay out of melee range, and see you next week.